episode 795. What's your top five for the Green Bay Packers in the NFL draft? To debate that question, we bring on Scott McKenna of the Talk and Smack blog for his monthly engagement. It's all coming up on Railbird Central next. Good morning, Green Bay Packers fans, and welcome to Railbird Central at Cheesehead TV, the longest tenured Packers podcast on the internet. I'm your host, Brian Carivu, and today we're talking about the NFL Draft. To do that, we're joined by a guest on the phone. Baltar, find me another expert, one that likes me this time, okay? We're joined by Scott McKenna of the Talkin' Smack blog, joining us as he does the second Friday of every month. Scott, how you doing this morning? I'm great, Brian. You? Very good. On today's episode, we're going to give you our top five for the Green Bay Packers. Uh, and if you could bear with me for one moment, first, a couple of assumptions. We're assuming, of course, the Packers make the selection at pick number 29 and don't trade either up or down. We also, for purposes of this exercise, had to create some sort of artificial threshold of players we think might be available. So what we did was use the player rankings at the CBS Sports slash NFL DraftScout.com uh, website and took the top 20 players they have listed out of consideration. I, I suppose you could sit here and say, why didn't you, why don't you take the top 28 off the board if the Packers are at 29? Well, no matter whose top 20 list we picked, it's not going to be 100% accurate. Even the best prognosticators in this business get things wrong. It's also why we're picking five players, not one. Um, so without further ado here, let me just list off the top 20 players we're not going to consider. And then, Scott, you can give uh, your uh, prediction, your number one option for the Green Bay Packers. And, and here's the top 20. Number one, Miles Garrett. And I'll just list them quickly here. Solomon Thomas, Jamal Adams, Jonathan Allen, Marshawn Lattimore, O.J. Howard, Malik Hooker, Derek Barnett, Leonard Fournette, Reuben Foster, Delvin Cook, Mitch Trubisky, Hassan Reddick, Jabril Peppers, Corey Davis, Christian McCaffrey, Deshaun Watson, Ryan Ramchick, John Ross, and David Njoku. Okay, Scott, start our analysis here. Packers are, uh, the, the, everybody else is available to the Packers, presumably. Who would you take? I'd take T.J. Watt. And, you know, you're, you're, you're looking at a, uh, well, I believe drafting a corner is the most important piece of this, uh, of this puzzle entering next weekend for the Green Bay Packers, or I guess two weekends from now for the Green Bay Packers. I, uh, I, I think that the depth at cornerback in this draft really makes for uh, an interesting first round for Ted Thompson because he has to get a starter or a guy that can play significantly um, you know, in the at, at, at a linebacker position this year um, in the first round of this draft, in my opinion. So if you're telling me Foster and Reddick are off the board, um, I'm going uh, with the next guy in line for me is, is T.J. Watt. Another thing that I think will be really interesting to see how this draft plays out is, on the one hand, you could see a huge run at cornerback in the uh, in, in the early part of the uh the first round, but you could also see just uh, people so enamored with the depth at cornerback that uh, you know there there may we may end up having our pick of the litter when that uh, when that time comes. 
But I just think that, you know, given the circumstances, the way this draft is laid out, uh, Watt in his, in his height and his length and his ability and just, you know, you, we got to remember that this guy hasn't played a ton of football. And just through the course of last year, he just got better and better and better. And he's a natural instinct. He knows how to he he knows how to use his instincts. Uh, um, you know, he's he's great in run defense. I thought he really improved as a pass rusher as the season went along. And I and I think he'd just be a great toy for the Packers defense. Um, he's he's surprisingly quick. He's got uh, he's he's great at disrupting passing lanes. And you know what I really was impressed with Watt was a lot of the little things. And not only did he did he as I mentioned stop the run and apply pressure on the quarterback, but when he wasn't going to get home, it seemed like uh, because he's such a high effort guy, he didn't um, he didn't just uh, sort of sort of give up and and take himself out of the play. There would be times he'd see that he was going to get swallowed in the pass rush. And I love how he sort of like dropped it almost. And, and again, this goes back to the instincts. It almost appeared as though he, um, you know, he, he he didn't want to take himself out of the play. So he he was able to detach himself from the offensive tackle, um, drop back just a hair in coverage and uh, become a defender. And, uh, and, you know, I think oftentimes you see that people, when they get swallowed up early in the play, sort of give up on the play. Uh, that's not Watt by any stretch of the imagination. I think he'd bring a high effort impact to the front seven of our, uh, of our defensive line, or our, our defensive uh, uh, schemes. Yeah, as I give my top five here, including my top option for the Green Bay Packers, it's T.J. Watt as well, and I hope nobody out there accuses me of being some Wisconsin fanboy. I've been, you know, will criticize the Packers and Wisconsin teams as much as I praise them, but I just think this is a fit for the Green Bay Packers as long as Dom Capers is operating his version of the 3-4 defense in Green Bay. Uh, T.J. Watt, comparing him to a guy like I just put on film of another, you know, outside linebacker kind of prospect yesterday, uh, Jordan Willis of Kansas State. I just watched some film and and really looking at the two closely and, and Jordan Willis lines up every single play at left end for Kansas State in a four point stance every single snap. And he's a good player, but compare that to a guy like T.J. Watt. He lines up in a two-point stance, both the right and the left side. He will drop into coverage. He can set the edge to defend the run, and he can rush the passer. He He's kind of this total package, exactly what you want for, for an outside linebacker in Dom Capers' 3-4 scheme that the Packers operate. He's great. He's got 11-inch hands, biggest hands out of any edge prospect uh, in in this year's draft class, uh, he's got over 33-inch long arms, uh, not the longest, but still very long. And, and those big hands and long arms, he's so strong. He can take guys down with one hand. And the big one big thing I like about T.J. Watt, too, when he's not making a play, he's helping other players make plays. He's He's can do a, a stunt. Uh, going in on the inside and and opening up for another pass rusher, or he's using those big arms and long hands, and he sticks them out, and it makes the ball carrier go that extra couple inches to get around him, which if he's not making the play, it's just taking that split second longer for for his teammates to go make the tackle. T.J. Watt's a great player. Um, 
and, and we've already spent a long time here talking about TJ Watt. So Scott, let, let's assume he's off the board now or something, or or you know Packers have all the way at pick twenty nine. If if TJ Watt's off the board, who would be next in your uh, options for the Green Bay Packers? I'm going with Marlon Humphrey. There's been a great uh, cornerback from Alabama. There's been a great uh, tradition of the Crimson Tide coming to Green Bay and having a successful career. Uh, that, and, and I, you know, I believe in things like that. I'd also say that, in my opinion, Humphrey is the most physical of all the cornerbacks in the in, in the draft. And the Packers secondary, boy, you know, we 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 had a lot of areas of improvement in physicality and speed and that uh, that speed power height combination. We just didn't have anybody who offered all three of those things. Uh, there's a number of corners in this draft that do do that. And in my opinion, of the names that uh, that we have available to us, Humphrey is the best one. Plays with great vision. Um, I really just uh, I, I love his physicality too. He's he's uh, he's not only going to be the guy that steps up and lowers the boom to knock you out, but he's also that second tackler. If you look at the it, you know you watch Humphrey play. So many times he's coming in as the second tackler, and he's not just looking to finish the play, but he's also looking to go for the strip. And you know, I think our secondary, one of the another area of improvement for our secondary that is needed uh, in this upcoming season is we need to be able to force tor- turnovers. And uh, Humphrey seems like a guy that is able to find the football. He sees everything in front of him, but additionally, he can he can jab you at the line. He can turn. He can run. He can see the football. And uh, because of that, I have Humphrey as, uh, as uh, you know, what my number one corner in this group of players that could potentially be available. And if he's there, it'd be really tough to pass him up. I, I certainly agree that there's a there's a big group of cornerbacks here, and to me, there's not a lot of separation among them. I certainly couldn't blame the Packers if they picked Marlon Humphrey. I think he has a high ceiling. Uh, I do think he has trouble tracking the ball and think he might be a better safety than a cornerback. Uh, but I do, he's young though. He's like 20 years old. Like, uh, I, I think if he got the proper coaching, he could definitely be a very good cornerback. But if I was the general manager of the Packers and TJ Watts off the board, my next option is cornerback Kevin King of the University of Washington. He's really tall and lanky, six foot three. I mean, you don't see many corners that big. But the amazing thing is when you do get a corner that big, usually they're a little bit slower just because those limbs are longer and it takes them a little bit longer to get up to speed. But that's not the case with Kevin King. He showed at the NFL Combine he's as fast, if not faster, than pretty much any cornerback in this class. So you've got the length, you've got the height, you've got the speed, and he timed well in like every, all the, you know, statistical measures and metrics like the three cone drill, the change of direction stuff, which is just amazing for a guy of his size. Um, so I, I, I think he's a Richard Sherman possibly type of player. I, I don't want to put him in that category yet. Obviously Sherman is a very accomplished player and Kevin King has yet to accomplish anything in the NFL, but I think he's got that kind of ceiling to him. The one small thing that gives me pause is he does have a little bit of a concussion history, which definitely makes you wary after what happened to Sam Shields, and you're like, oh, we don't want to go through this again. Um, but, yeah, uh, Kevin King uh, and Scott, thoughts on that and where where you'd go next? You know, I got uh, – I, I do. Th- I have Kevin King in, in my list here coming up as well. I just love the wit that he plays with. And 
you know, you hear the critics that are going to say that, you know, because of his length, can he, can he move with that smaller wide receiver? And, and I, uh, I oftentimes would joke in a conversation like that, well, you know, he, he passed all the tests when he went to the combine and showing that he can get on, get in and out of his breaks. And then additionally, where he really, where he really would excel is he plays with such wit. Um, I think he really uses the, 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 the sideline as his best friend as well as anybody in this draft. And I think that that's just a natural instinct that he's going to be able to bring to whoever drafts him. And, you know, we're living in an era where wide receivers seem to grow an inch taller each year. And they seem to, to you know, go from a 4-5 to a 4-4, a 4-4 to 4-3. And, you know, King has all those tools that certainly steps in to uh, to 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 mesh with the modern rules of of the uh, the NFL. And uh, it's really a trying to attract offenses to throw the ball deep. And I think that's what King can defend that as well, if not better than any any corner in the draft. And, um, you know, I'll, I'll, I can elaborate on him a little bit longer, but that's a, a that'd be a really good selection. You know, my my uh, my next guy would be Fabian Moreau. And, uh, you know, I, I, I oftentimes in this sort of thing uh, will overlook injury concerns. And I kind of kick myself for doing this. Um, but uh, uh, Moreau does have an injury history that does. Uh, it certainly concerns me and it scares me. And um, this there's a little bit of an asterisk by this selection because, you know, I still don't know what's uh, what's going on with his pectoral issue that, um, you know, that he injured on his pro day and if he would be available it it looks like he might not be available um for training camp and that would that would certainly concern me but without having you know a fully accurate update as to his injury history just looking at his profile and uh been a guy that i've watched over the last couple of years and been very interested in he's he's built like a brick house um and you know when you when you look at his speed how can you not be enamored it's uh uh, he's just been a, a, a true difference maker, and it's not in the statistical, uh, you know, scenario that you're going to look at him and you're going to see him as a, dis, a, a as a as a guy that was like a, a stat freak. He wasn't, but you know what? He wasn't. All, he he just wasn't targeted when I when you watched him play at, at UCLA. It was it, it didn't look like they were throwing his way, and when they were, he was breaking passes up or making a play on the football. And I think that he's got uh, he's he's for my eye anyways. He's the most explosive of all the cornerbacks getting in and out of his breaks. And he's got all those tools that really could make him a true shutdown cornerback if he can stay healthy. Um, and, uh, and in my opinion, if you look at the players that have uh, upside in this draft, I don't think any, any corner has more upside than Moreau. And uh, he's just a true press perimeter cornerback. And, you know, I think that uh, that's the number one need for the Packers this year. Yeah, I do like that Fabian Moreau has some, like, thickness to him as well. It seems like he's—I know he got injured here, but it seems like he's the kind of guy who can hold up to a little bit of pounding and and a guy who can maybe help in the run game a little bit. He was a former running back at UCLA, and and that also kind of speaks to his upside, yet he's still learning the position. I've got Fabian Moreau a little bit further down— uh, on my list, but I still think, you know, without injury, he could have been a, a, a first round potential pick uh, and, and certainly wouldn't rule him out for the Green Bay Packers. But 
So my top five here, TJ Watt's gone, Kevin King's gone. The next in my list is Tredavious White, the cornerback from LSU. Um, I, I think he doesn't maybe have as high of a ceiling as some other players in at the cornerback position in this year's draft class. You wish he was just a little bit taller. You wish he was just a little bit faster. But I think the the floor is higher for him than a lot of other guys. He comes from an LSU program that produces defensive backs year in year out, top notch ones. So he's got he's getting great coaching, and he was a four year starter there. Uh, you know he he's accomplished. He pretty much he he can come in and day one and contribute, and not just on defense on special teams. He was a gunner on the punt team, so if he does have to learn at the very beginning, he can contribute there. He was also a punt returner, a good one, maybe not a great one, but remember now that the Packers lost Micah Hyde this offseason, their top punt returner, um, and they really probably, I don't know what the Packers do at punt returner right now, so a guy like Tredavious White could pretty much come in and maybe compete for that job with like a Trevor Davis I don't think they want to put Randall Cobb back there. Ty Montgomery's more of a kick returner than a punt returner. Same with Jeff Janis. So they need a punt returner, and they need a cornerback, and Tredavious White kind of checks all these boxes. And, you know, he's he competed at a high level at LSU in the SEC weekend and week out. So I like him. You just described him to, uh, to a T. When you look at all these cornerbacks – you you could hit home runs with uh, with a lot of them, but you could also strike out. And uh, with 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 Tre'Davious, I think you got you know what you're getting, and uh, you you may know what you're getting more with him than you got with any other cornerback uh, uh, out there. And I don't think in any in any uh, anyone would look at him and think that you're going to end up getting a bust, right? You mm-hmm. might not uh, you might not get the superstar. But you know what you're getting, and as you said, I, I loved how you put it. Where maybe you wish he had uh, just a, you know maybe a little more height or a little <laughs> more speed. But the guy every week he showed up, and every week he made plays, notably against the Badgers, right? The, yeah. The kick, he was just terrific, and that game got single-handedly got LSU back in the game. My next guy would be uh, uh, Gary and Conley, and uh, you know, I, you know, I mentioned before that the, the you know the number one need is 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 for a press perimeter cornerback somebody that you can have out on the edge and sort of leave uh, leave alone and that that ohio state secondary was just uh, it was just fantastic last year but and when you watched it hooker was never helping out uh conley conley was all by himself more more often than not and he was out on little conley island there and uh <laughs> Uh, and just just performing so 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 well. I loved how he saw everything in front of him, and he played those. Uh, and he was able to step up, and he wasn't afraid of contact. Though he his, he he measured bigger than maybe he looks. Um, and I I really just love how when he's in press and jam coverage at the line of scrimmage, getting in your nose. And I hope that the Packers can move to to uh, to more of that defensively on the outside where. You know, oftentimes last year we saw these five to ten yard cushions and nobody wanted to get in anybody's face because we weren't fast enough to turn and run. Conley would be. And simply stated, I just look at Conley as being a guy that locates the football when the ball is in the air. And, uh, um, and uh, you know, I love how on those underneath routes, those those comeback routes against those quicker wide receivers that just seem impossible to defend, 
it, it, it appears to me anyways that Conley does can get in, out of, in and out of his breaks that way as well as anybody. So that was one of the reasons that, uh, that I certainly looked at Conley. Looked like he could play some zone, uh, but really wants to be a man cornerback uh, uh, playing on the perimeter. Yeah, um, Gary and Conley is my fifth and last option on this exercise, so I know I didn't give my number four guy, but seeing as we're talking about Gary and Conley, I'll I'll address him right now. So Conley, um, I, I think he's got a high ceiling, um, but uh, there are some things that concern me. I went and watched, you know, tried to watch a little bit of film on all of these guys and quite a few, of course, like many people do. Um, you watch Gary and Conley and what, of course, what are the first films, you know, that I put on, you know, the toughest opponents, the last two games of the year that Ohio state played against Clemson and Michigan, probably the two worst games of the season for Gary and Conley. If you watch those two games, you probably don't come away all that impressed. He's all right, but, you know, he got beat for a touchdown by Clemson in the in the playoff game. Um, he, he didn't do great against Michigan in the big rivalry game there. Um, and so that concerned me a little bit. Um, I, I do like he's a real high-character guy, captain at Ohio State. Uh, those things concern me a little bit. Um but as we move on here, and, and, and Scott, I guess we probably, if I'm correct, I think you we're coming back to Kevin King now, who would be like last on your list. Um, but but let me see if I've got this correct as well. Um, it, you know, it, you listed a bunch of cornerbacks like Gary and Conley, Marlon Humphrey, and, and um, um, who is the other one? Fabian Moreau. F- Fabian Moreau. And a lot of these guys could be like slot corners and perimeter corners, whereas like King, kind of a perimeter corner only. Mm-hmm. That's that's uh, that's a really good point. Hey, one back one thing to backtrack on Conley that didn't excite me about the the uh, Clemson game is you know he's the guy that had the interception early in the game that really set the True. tone. The game. Ohio State, their only opportunity it looked like to score all game, right? So I, I looked at that as he looked like he was a little bit of a fire starter earlier in that game that, that had my eye, uh, my, high, uh, my eye peaked, if you will. But, you know, with Kevin King, it's just, uh, you know, we, you talked about his length, and he just brings uh, um, top-notch speed with that length. And it's just you, you don't find people who are 6'3", that run a 4'4", four, four at 200 pounds and get in and out of their breaks and, you know, you you look at the you watch him play, and I, I touched on earlier about the way that uh, that that King uh, runs defends the deep route, the deep ball, and oftentimes you watch that, and he looked like he was the wide receiver when the ball was in the air, and then you throw that in there, and you say, oh well, how does he play in small spaces? I challenge anybody to watch film of any of these cornerbacks and show me a guy who is better than Kevin King inside the red zone, and the way he uses that sideline as his best friend it's um you know that's a tough thing to coach that's a tough thing to teach and he just gives that sort of lockdown uh approach that uh you know we we've we had for a while with uh, the mike mckenzie's and the al harris's and then the charles woodson's and uh we you know where they didn't they weren't afraid to get in your face and they weren't afraid to jab you they weren't afraid to turn and run with you and i think he's got uh got a lot of that i'm not sure he's as physical as some of the other cornerbacks that have listed earlier but uh he sure has the uh the body and the frame and 
Um, he brings the attitude that I, I think would just be great to uh, to enhance the title town USA defense. Yeah, throw this statistic out there from ProFootballFocus.com. Kevin King did not give up a single touchdown last season, 2016, and over the uh, last two seasons only gave up one touchdown. So there you go. Um, and that brings me to my final, t- technically number four on my list, um, Chidobi Awuzi of uh, Colorado. Uh, I think he's a versatile guy, another one of those types who can play both outside and inside slot and perimeter cornerback, Um, and I think that's one of his biggest selling points. He's got the requisite length you look for, got the requisite speed you look for, Um, and so, yeah, that's that's why I like him quite a bit, Uh, one notch above Gary and Conley. Um, But again, uh, I don't think there's a whole lot separating all these cornerback prospects um, so we've each gone through our top five now. Go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say, Brian, if you were to put a gun to my head today and say, Scott, name the Packers pick, I think I would take <laughs> Ouzier. Uh, I, I, I feel like he's a Ted Thompson type cornerback. He really reminds me of a young Tremont Williams uh, with an added dimension of being able to blitz out of the slot, which Tremont didn't do a lot. But he, uh, he he's got this really interesting jumping ability where he almost like hops instead of jumps. And <laughs> when he hops, he's still going what 40 inches or whatever it is. And it's just, uh, uh, he really brings a great dimension to blitz out of the, out of the slot. You know, I live out here in Colorado and uh, the buffs became a, a thing this year for the first time since I've been here. And he was really an exciting uh, a player. And when you combined him with Witherspoon, the other corner out of, uh, out of Colorado, that's going to be in the draft and a guy that, you know, it doesn't get enough attention, I don't think, as he deserves, because that kid can play, and he can turn and run as well and brings great length, and he's a playmaker late in games, too. So he's a name that uh, maybe a third, fourth-round pick that uh, that will have a nice career in the NFL. But Awuzie today is the guy that uh, – I don't have him in my top five if I were the GM, but if I were betting on Ted Thompson's pick, I would say that it would be him. He's a, He plays great in his own. Uh, Packers play a lot of zone defense. He's been a guy that traditionally is a eight yards off the ball type cornerback. And uh, yeah, I could I could see him being the pick uh, when the Packers step to the podium at number 29. Yeah, that's why we gave five guys because we, you know, some of these guys still might not be available. We only took the top 20 off the board. So that's why we went with five guys uh, as opposed to just giving our top one. Uh, Scott, um, uh because of the depth at the cornerback position, what do you think are the odds the Packers perhaps trade down? I think it's more likely they trade down than they trade up, um, you know, out of the first round perhaps, and, and still get one of these guys maybe early in the second. You know, I think it's uh, there's a high probability depending on how the draft falls, and that's, I guess, what I was trying to, to, to promote early is that I – as a guy that spends probably way too much time following the NFL draft for 365 days a year, uh, this is the hardest year, and I've been I've been paying pretty close attention to this stuff for boy close to 20 years, and this year has been harder for me than ever to project who will be available because you could make an argument that um, you know with the guys I listed that uh, you know and, and you listed as well that. You know, and I, I, I go through it. When it comes down to it, maybe Awuzie is the only guy going to be available or 
Wozier and White, my projections might be the two guys that are available out of out of it. It's just it's that hard. But we could get to it where you know all five of uh, of each of our guys are available. So it's really <laughs> hard to project because you don't know if uh, you know if people are just truly in love with one cornerback, and that's just going to cause a huge mid first round run on corners. Or if people kind of view it the same way that you and I are kind of talking, where a lot of these guys are really similar. And, you know, the difference between, you know, number two and number eight is, is very minimal. So there might be more value in trading down early into the second round and being able to pick up another top 100 picks so that you got four of the top 100, which is sort of a magical thing that we occasionally heard Ron Wolf used to talk about, right? So I, uh, I, I think that there's a high probability of it depending on, you know, who's on the board at that time. And then additionally, if there's somebody outside of corner that truly jumps out at you, like is it is a forest lamp available that can slide in and, you know, patch a hole that guard? And, and is that what Thompson views as his number one hole on the uh, uh, on the roster? If that guy's available, well, then maybe you're, uh, uh, you're selecting him. So I think it, it really depends on how this board falls. And uh, the only guys outside a corner that I really see as potential first round picks, if I were the GM, would be Watt and uh, in in Lamp. And the, other than that, you know, I think you got to go, got to go cornerback early in this draft, and maybe draft with the, the depth of it. Maybe two of your top three picks need to be cornerbacks. So uh, that would be my approach if I were the GM here, and I'll be very interested to see how Ted Thompson plays his cards. Um, before we let you go, Scott, just just hypothetically here uh if if either reuben foster or hassan reddick were to fall would you have i mean we took they were part of that top 20 we didn't consider if they'd fall are they the number one pick without a doubt and uh you know reddick to me is the most freakish um dynamic athlete he is so explosive and you know i almost wonder if he was given a disservice by playing defensive line or line outside linebacker throughout his his college career because has he had he been um you know in the sec or in the acc or the big 10 or the the pac 12 and been an inside linebacker playing off the ball so people knew exactly what they're getting with his speed and his height and his size combination and at a three four inside linebacker i think you'd have a top 10 pick there um, I, I really do. It's just there's a little bit of an uncertainty because there hasn't enough film of him playing off the ball there. And then Reuben Foster, I mean, he's had if there weren't these question marks that have sort of popped up over the last couple of months on him, you know, I, I think he was a top five pick. He was as he was as dominant as any as any linebacker in college football, not just last year, but the year before. And he really comes across as a true leader in the heart of the defense. And if he's there, boy, would he would he fill a fill a hole, um, you know, at, uh, at inside linebacker without a doubt. One, one last name that I will mention is a guy that is somebody that really excites me, not as a first-round pick, but, uh, um, you know, as a third or a fourth-round pick is Alex Anzalone at, uh, out of Florida, just a name that uh, hasn't gotten uh, very much hype, and he, too, has had some injury concerns. And if he didn't have those injury concerns, we might be talking about him right now as a first-round pick. And, uh, the reason I bring him up is because of outside of Foster and outside of uh, and outside of Reddick, you know, I just there, there's a concern for me with every other inside linebacker in this draft. And he seems like a name that would really fit what we need at three, four inside backer. 
Interesting. Scott, uh, as usual, thanks so much. It was a good conversation and uh, looking forward to do it, uh, doing it again when we wrap up the draft. Looking forward to it, my man. Be good to yourself. All right. Take care. Scott McKenna joining us as he does the second Friday of every month here at Railbird Central. Thanks to him for joining us. Thanks to you, the listener, for joining us as we continue on with the show. So just to wrap up one last time, my top five for the Packers after the top 20 prospects. Number one, T.J. Watt. Number two, Kevin King. Number three, Tredavious White. Uh, number four, Chidobi Awuzie. And number five, Gary and Conley. That's the way I would rank them. Some guys who fell just outside that top five for me, uh, Marlon Humphrey of Alabama, Fabian Moreau of UCLA, uh, Forrest Lamp of Western Kentucky, Charles Harris of Missouri. Those are all guys I considered uh, taking at that point um, and could definitely would understand if the Packers uh, took them. Um, not sure they will, but uh, there you go. There's our list uh, continuing on with the show. Right, just briefly here, we've already pretty much gone on for a half hour already, but the Green Bay Packers signed defensive lineman Christian Ringo on Thursday, another mere formality. The team had previously offered Ringo an exclusive rights tender, and it was just a matter of putting pen to paper and signing the contract. Ringo was very likely reporting to Green Bay for the start of the offseason program next week and signed his contract upon returning to town. Uh, we also got reports of a uh, couple players visiting uh, the Green Bay Packers as draft picks using one of their 30 official visits on the uh, prior to the NFL draft. One of them is Oklahoma linebacker Jordan Evans. Uh, another is Wisconsin's own wide receiver Robert Wheelwright. Um, like I said, Packers can use 30 pre-draft visits with these teams, bring them into their facilities, put them through a physical, interview them. So, yeah, uh, that's what the Packers did, according to multiple reports. And then briefly here, uh, getting into the next segment. The day ahead. There we go. First off, uh, the NFL Combine Medical Recheck wraps up today, Friday, in Indianapolis, according to NFL.com. Presumably, the Packers will have representation in the medical field in Indianapolis today as they gain information on a few football players. Among them who are getting a recheck include Wisconsin Ryan Ramchick, uh, Washington wide receiver John Ross, Western Michigan wide receiver Corey Davis, UCLA defensive end Takarist McKinley, Michigan tight end Jake Butt, Alabama linebacker Reuben Foster. So all those guys going to be in Indianapolis today. Uh, one last chance to get a look at their medicals before the NFL draft, so that's happening on Friday. Then Monday we will not be having an episode of Railbird Central, but uh, just to, to hold you through here and kind of talk about what's on the horizon for the Packers, the team starts its off-season program next week, so after the Easter holiday. Many players will be returning to Green Bay for the first time since last season ended as they begin their workout program. And remember, the first two weeks of the off-season program are strictly strength and conditioning. So you'll hear reports of players reporting back to Green Bay. Off-season program starts. You'll hear about you know them getting... 
uh, bonuses in their contract, workout bonuses for being in town and going through the workouts as, you know, as opposed to staying wherever they live in the off season and just working out there. Um, so you hear all these reports, but for these first two weeks, strictly strength and conditioning, they don't do anything with, you know, team drills or anything like that. Um, just getting back into shape uh, as they take, you know, baby steps towards building toward a new season here. So that starts next week. And that's where we are right now on the Packers calendar as we're shortly less than two weeks out now from the start of the NFL draft. And that'll be exciting when we add a new rookie class to the Green Bay Packers roster. So excited to talk about that in the upcoming weeks. So yeah, no episode on Monday. I'm doing some traveling for the Easter holiday, uh, but it'll be back again next Wednesday talking more NFL drafts, stuff like that. So excited to do that then. Have a good Easter, everyone, for those of you who celebrate. Have a good weekend for those of you who don't. Have a good week. Have a good day every day. So uh, we'll see you, folks. Uh, on behalf of everybody at Cheesehead TV, I'm Brian Kiru. Railbird Central airs every Monday, Wednesday, Friday at 8.30 a.m. Central Time. That's a live edition of the show, podcasted and on demand later in the day. Um, we'll see you. Uh, I leave you today with a song called Valley of the Jig by the String Cheese Incident on Psy Fidelity Records. See everyone. Go Pack Go. Go Pack Go.